Hello, everyone, and welcome to Horrorsperia. My name is May, and we have a special episode today. Clinton is still off in Spain, gallivanting around, learning about the culture and the movies and the wars and all of the fun stuff. And instead, today in place, we have... Me! (laughs) I'm Gabby. I am so happy to be here joining May, who's a very old friend of mine. I don't know if you want to talk about where we met and how we met. I definitely do. So Gabby is actually my best friend from undergrad. We went to film school in UCF together in Orlando, and uh, we just did almost everything together after like our D1, and she... Has always meant a lot to me, but when she graduated, she moved back here because she is originally from Maryland, and I stayed back in Florida to go to grad school, and then by chance, I decided to move up here. Yeah, so I love being able to just like reconnect, and especially with people who are into film because I'm not in that world anymore, so... This is kind of a chance to like flex my film theory muscles, much like my cardio routine. I have not (laughs) done so in years. (laughs) At least this one feels good. Yes. There you go. Oh, and I guess D1, right? For those who don't know, that's directing one. Oh, directing one, yeah. Little Baby May and Little Baby Gabby off making three-minute shorts. (laughs) Gabby was like actually good, though, and I was always just like, not true. <laughs> That's why I got into theory, and Gabby's like really famous now. No, I'm, re- I'm really not. <laughs> no, but Gabby was always like, we were very close. And when she said she listened to my podcast, I think I wanted to cry because I was like, oh my gosh, your opinion means so much to me. So I was like, first chance you get, let's do one together. And that is what this episode is about. So it's going to be all girls. Getting it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, first off, you know, thank you, everyone, for listening so far. I know that we've kind of had a bit of a break. Our last episode was a Giallo episode that we recorded, gosh, about a month ago now. And so this is now a fresh new episode. We're back on the grind. Again, rate, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Follow us, add us. I love it when you guys tag us and photos saying that you're listening. It makes everything worth it for us. Um, But before we go forward, Gabby, how are you today? I'm good. It's so nice outside. It reminds me of Florida, so it it makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, But I'm fresh off of uh, rewatching one of the films that we're going to be talking about today, and Mm -hmm. um, it was really nice to just get back into that headspace of watching do you watch a lot of films you know i don't it's really sad so Mm -hmm. i work in the arts so i work with visual artists and you know i get a lot of my creative you know Mm -hmm. aspirations out through that right um and watching films i you know film school changes you it does (laughs) i tell everyone this no one ever understands and it makes the watching experience so different so for me it's you know i can't not think and when i'm watching films so i've you know, it, for most people, you know, you watch a movie to relax and yeah. be entertained. For me, that's TV and like yeah, watching exactly. like really shitty TV. Yeah. I mean, also really great TV too, but there's yeah. something about the format that yeah. like I'm so trained to think about things when it's a longer format. Right. When it's like 30 minutes, I can just chill yeah. and, you know, I don't relax know, after work. But. I don't know if you know what is my, because I agree. Like everyone's mm-hmm. always like, watch this really great movie, watch this really great um, TV show. And for the most part, 
especially now that I've been teaching at George Mason again, I've mm-hmm. had to watch mm-hmm. a lot of movies again. And now going back to like watching all of these movies again, when I'm just say cooking or something, I have to wind down. I can't watch mm-hmm. a movie. My thing is Shark Tank. I am obsessed with Shark it's Tank. It's not bad. It's not a bad show to love. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? Oh, God. What is my bad? Well, I am a sucker for Project Runway because, like, oh. I can just watch the the segments that I find visually appealing, like, when right. they're revealing the clothes, <laughs> yeah. but then, like, listen to the babble in between. Right. Um, but I've been trying to work on my Spanish, so I started watching... Um, can I guess? Yeah. Casa de las Flores? No, no, no. It's like Project Runway. It's oh. like Diseña, Mexico. And then Shut it's like, up. but it's so funny because they're like, you know, Bienvenidos a Diseña, Mexico, the LBD edition. And it's like, they just like <laughs> cut to like the most perfect English accent because, you know, the host right, is like bilingual yeah. and is, you know, does work in the States too. And it's just like hilarious that like there's it's like little a... phrases that come out that are just like, they yeah. keep English. But I've been trying to watch that to absorb a little. Right. Spanish there. <laughs> you know what was really good? Nailed It Mexico was really good. Oh, I really liked I Nailed It Mexico. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was funny as hell. Okay. So it's great to know that you're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a special episode today. So we are internationally focused and actually three of the films that were watched that we watched for this are based internationally. Um, but go ahead. What is our theme for today? The final girl, girl, girl. So I like Gabby choose. So Gabby, why did you want to talk about the final girl? So I actually have a confession to make. I don't really love horror. Oh no. We take her out. All right. But I really love feminist film theory and I think that there's so much opportunity in horror to explore Mm -hmm. that. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's so much about power. It's yeah. about sexuality. Right. It's, um, you know, about, like, the abject. I'm just, yeah. I feel like with that, you can achieve so much. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, and my, I will say that my dislike for horror mostly comes from just the icky feelings. You're right. I'm not yeah. one for, like, body count movies. Right. I, I don't like the goriness, but I love right. what you can do with the camera and the storyline yeah. and the visuals. Um, And so I think if you're going to, like, break down feminist film theory in horror films i feel like the final girl is a good place to start yeah absolutely it was one of the most premier fronts so it was originally coined in 1992 by carol clover she specifically specified she specifically (laughs) focused on the slasher film genre that was really popular coming out of the 80s and then knowing this was in 1992 before the wave of the 90s is also really interesting but specifically The final girl is, by definition, the last girl who is left to confront the killer. Mm -hmm. And so we know that that is really rampant in the slasher film genre. But the funny thing is, ever since Carol Clover came out with this, along with other feminist film theories that have been running alongside it, it's kind of evolved to have its own definition. So we chose four films. Some of them are really faithful to that definition, and some of them kind of put a twist to it. And I think that that's the exciting part. I was so glad that you mentioned Final Girl because it is one of my favorite ones, too. I just actually taught a lecture on the monstrous feminine, and it was I, I, I really love femininity and horror not only because i'm a woman but just because it's just it's there's so much metaphor Mm -hmm. in it when you really break it down other than just as you said 
chasing after someone or doing this or doing that. It really brings it all together. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, as women, we experience a lot of horror in our own lives. Like, there's a lot of fear. At least for me, I can speak to my own experience. I think that there's um, a lot to fear in the world as a yeah. woman um, or someone who's um, femme or woman identifying. Exactly. And I, I think watching horror films, it, it's interesting to look at it through that lens right um and like the safe space of your home but also there's so much that can be revealed about how society treats you as a woman that i feel like even when there are films where it's like directed by a man it's written by a man and you know it's it's maybe even demeaning there's sort of this relief that it's so blatant and you go yeah that's what's happening in the world. Like it is. I'm being objectified in this way and that's right. what's happening in this film. And I think it just becomes a record. And I think yeah. that's really fascinating to look at it through that lens. Like even if you watch it and you're like, wow, they really totally don't understand women. At least you can say, yeah, they don't understand women. And they made a yeah. record of that fact. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, interesting part of the movies that we are we watched for this were directed by men. However, they had very specific pre-production processes that we'll talk about and that I really liked. And also the matter of the fact is most of the films, the most recent one that we saw is in 2011. The film industry before 2000, I mean, even now, it's still really mm-hmm. hard for female horror directors to get it out there. And we have been seeing improvements, such as Karen Kusama, who did The Invitation. She, I think she just did Destroyer with Nicole Kidman. Um who else? I mean, we had Catherine Bigelow do a couple of films mm-hmm. in the 90s, like Near Dark. That was a vampire film. We have Raw, which is a French film. Julia de Carnell did that one. But the the fact of the matter is it's just not as much of a trend still. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely a very strong case to be made of these incredible women in mm-hmm. these films. And especially in a genre that is, as you said, such an attack on womanhood, mm-hmm. you know, Um Okay, cool. So let's go ahead and do something fun. Instead of us, uh, since we basically just discussed what the <laughs> final girl is, we're going to put a twist to the 60-minute countdown. Me and Gabby are going to go for 60 minutes. We're going to try and name as many final girls as we can. And forgive me because I'm terrible at like <laughs> character name recall. So you'll hear a lot of the son- that person from this thing. <laughs> I'm gleefully very excited. <laughs> Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay, so three, two. Okay, do you, do you want to go first or you want to go first? I'll go first. Okay, okay, right. cool, cool. Three, two, one, go. Elena from the collection. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sydney Prescott, Scream. Uh, Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, J- Jamie Lee Curtis, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> um, uh, whoever played the final girl in that really funny movie called The Final Girl that I never saw. <laughs> um, I know what you did last summer, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, I'm going to blank. I feel like I, it's cheating to pull from what we're going to talk about. I know you can mention it. Okay, so um, yeah, what's her face, Virgin and Cabin in the Woods? <laughs> <laughs> um... Goodness, there's so much, as you said, are just blank. Um, I like Danielle Campbell in the Halloween movies. Um, oh, Nancy Myers, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, okay. Um, <sighs> yeah, see, this is where I just we 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 do things, guys. 
okay. So sad. Right. But wait, wait. I, I saw Alien. Wait, not time yet. Alien. Girl from Alien. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alien. Alien it is. Alien, but one of the most iconic ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So yeah, we chose four films. Uh, two from Canada, one from England, and one of them is American. And we're going to start with Black Christmas. And so Gabby chose two. I chose two. Gabby actually chose Black Christmas. Um, so we'll go ahead and play a bit of Black Christmas and then we'll get into it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. Silent night. Evil night. <coughs> Starring Olivia Hussey. delay. Christmas from 1974 Canadian film done by Bob Clark who is actually an American but it was a Canadian production it was shot in Toronto it's supposedly based on Canadian real events but no one has really been able to prove that so it's probably you know bullshit um and bob clark do you know what else bob clark directed no i'm i'm really bad at like keeping up with who did what i just am in the moment when i watch it it's okay i didn't know until (laughs) he did a christmas story oh like yeah that a christmas story what a strange combination (laughs) like i'm gonna make this beloved well i mean i guess you don't know it's beloved when you make it this just really really happy yeah happy kid-friendly movie and then everyone dies on christmas (laughs) i wonder wait which one was done first i so christmas story is the 80s right yeah so this was done first black christmas i think it would have been funny if it was the other way around because it would have been like i'm so pissed at what i created that i'm just gonna like do something yeah totally spooky and scary yeah no i think it's i think it's definitely interesting when i found that out i was like oh so this is like the dude of christmas <laughs> yeah okay so black christmas uh, it's about sorority girls who get calls and are stalked and murdered during christmas season it's kind of like the whole thing but gabby chose this mm-hmm. so gabby why did you choose this one so i guess i'll back up for just a second sure. um i th- so I think it's important to mention Laura Mulvey, right? And right. male gaze. So Laura, yeah. Laura Mulvey established the theory of the male gaze that when you're looking at a film, you're looking through sort of the eyes of a man. Exactly. And um, in Black Christmas, you get a lot of POV shots yeah. from this killer, you know, whoever he is. It's never quite totally revealed who exactly. he is, uh-huh. <laughs> which we, I guess we can get to. Um, and so I think, um, you know, when, you know, there's this idea of the sorority girl being conventionally attractive, mm-hmm. you know, that you have a lot of different girls in the sorority house, but, um, and, you know, the idea of all these women to living together as something that is sort of, like, open for attack. And so, like, they kind of have their own community and, you know, they're dating people, but it's just interesting to look at it through this lens of the male gaze as, mm-hmm. like, sort of 
a space and a place and, and women to stalk and yeah. and terrorize. And yeah. I think, you know, that again speaks to what I mentioned earlier, like this feeling of being a woman and yeah. not even feeling safe perhaps in your own home if it's just all women there. So um yeah, I think it's a great starting point. It is also one of, I think, the first final girl films. It's one of the very, very first ones. It predated Halloween. Mm-hmm. I think the only one before it was Last House on the Left. Yeah. Which technically isn't a final girl film, but it kickstarted a lot of the slasher mm-hmm. genre. Um, beforehand, actually, you have the Giallos going on around this time. So I'm sure that they were seeping influence from that as well. Yeah, so it's exactly what, what Gabby said. This uh, it, this film was a really great example of the male gaze. But the really interesting thing about this film is that usually, and this kind of predates the slasher genre. This is one of the first slasher films of all time. If anything, John Carpenter was actually friends with Bob Clark. Mm-hmm. And he got the idea for Halloween because Bob Clark was telling him what a Black Christmas sequel would be like. And John Carpenter was like, oh, oh, that's actually a good idea. I'm going to instead. And you can kind of see there's like echoes. Oh, for sure. For sure. And so the, but the interesting thing about Black Christmas is that it really subverts the sexual trope that would later now then be kind of the norm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the first, the first, the most, wow, the first, the most innocent dies first. Yes. And the woman that is considering getting an abortion, you know, really sexually forward is the final girl, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And so I, that's what I really like about this film. And Bob Clark himself said that he wanted it to feel authentic to the women. He didn't want to focus on the killer. And we know as the genre evolved, it really became centered around who's the killer. The killer is the man that we're rooting for rather than who are his victims. And this movie really focuses on the banality of the victims, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it takes place during Christmas time. So a lot of these girls have gone home. Um, so there's that aspect to it of just kind of going through like those like you know, some little things like packing your bag to go home. Um, but it really it, it really is interesting how this genre kind of started with the girl who is considering getting an abort- abortion dying last because it just so often becomes, and we'll talk about it later, where someone kind of plays on this a little bit, um, how it's always the virgin. And I think it like yeah. ties into this like this really screwed sense that like the most innocent has to survive. And yeah. and then this also develops into that trope of, you know, the girl who dies after a sex scene. Yeah. Um, and that she's punished for that in some way. So it really is interesting that this totally goes in reverse order and yet it's set up something totally different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you definitely, I also think it has a lot to do with the uh culture it kind of comes from it's not an american film which which i mean the differences between canada and america are both big and slight at the same time Mm -hmm. but you can definitely get more of a feel where the the kind of camaraderie between the women is put first and i really like that and bob clark himself said that that was a focus he wanted to focus on the friendships Mm -hmm. the killer was kind of secondary and i think it it's definitely something very interesting to look underneath mulvey's theory because you do wonder 
who who's the spectator who's the viewer who are you identifying with mm-hmm. who did you identify with the most in the film i mean i think it's it's hard to watch it as a woman and not right. identify with the women Absolutely. um you know particularly because through media we're just so shaped by those images right um but it it it's interesting to feel like you're identifying with the killer through right. the POV shots. And I found myself doing that, but mm-hmm. that that kind of creates a horror in itself, right? Right. You're like, oh my gosh, like, if I'm this person, look at these awful things that I'm doing. Yeah. And um, so I think that's one of the successful aspects of horror in this film is that you see some just – and it's not overly gory. And it it's isn't. not, like, really super perverse. It's it just – it's just creepy and like to see yourself in that point and you it's not just that you see yourself you hear yourself um because there's some really creepy voices and phone calls and yeah you begin to associate things that this this perpetrator is saying and then you hear it during these pov shots so i definitely think that i was able to identify with the killer a little bit even though it feels weird <laughs> it does, yeah it does and i mean that's really what you also have to kind of wonder why it's really interesting that a lot of the scholarship on horror films are done by women when mm-hmm. women are the primary victim of most of the genre and in a way it's almost a sense of reclamation being like okay we can see these efforts now how can we make it stronger? And especially, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever make a horror film myself one day. It might, it's like one of those like lofty dreams that you're just kind of like, I, I don't know if I want to go through the trouble of it. <laughs> personally, just me personally. But I really love being able to see kind of the, where this started and seeing the evolution from it and saying, okay, this is how we can really go and and take these lessons from a film like this but this to me is still such a good film i think it still holds up did you ever see the remake no i don't think i knew there was a remake oh are you serious yeah yeah it was remade in 2006 by i don't know who i know isla fisher's in it you know isla fisher yeah 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 she's in it and that's about all I know. It was interesting. Panned. It was like everyone hated it. Well, I think because they like gave it a story in the sense mm. they gave more identification to the killer, which again kind of sub ruins the whole point of the first one. Yeah, within the first one, you know, the fact that you don't know who this is and you, you know, and spoiler alert, you find out that it. I, I think you start to think like, oh, is it the boyfriend of? Right. Um, the final girl who doesn't want her to get an abortion. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have this feeling like, no, you're pretty sure it's not him at the end. Yeah. Right? And um, yeah, so I, I feel like beyond that, even just from adding story to that person, maybe making that a failure, this was done in the 70s when abortion was more taboo than it is these days. And yeah. um you know, the issues that are happening at this time, um, the expectations of girls within sorority houses too. Like, yeah. um, you know, how the father comes and there's the the more innocent girl who dies first. Like the father comes and he's, you know, judging the fact that she has posters on her walls of hippies and, um, you know, th- that dynamic changes. And even just the sorority house dynamic changes, you know, you wouldn't have men sleep over that you know but now you could totally have dudes come over a sorority house and it wouldn't be totally weird so it it ruins the dynamic of of looking at i should i don't know if it ruins but it definitely changes the dynamic of having this like woman exclusive place and having that be under attack 
Yeah, it's definitely, this film in a very weird way often makes me feel um, unnecessarily safe in a way because Mm. you want to feel safe among them. And I think that is the thing. I first watched this film. How old were you when you first watched this film? Oh, I was definitely older, like 19 or 20. Okay, I actually saw this when I was a teenager. And I remember seeing it and the imagery. I, I didn't rewatch it because I remember kind of just being haunted by it. Like, when you first watched it, how did you feel about the end? I kind of, I mean... I don't know. I, it wasn't anything that scared me, I think, just because there's that distance of technology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't anything that left me feeling really creeped out. But I could definitely relate to this feeling of like, you know, I grew up in a, in a house with a single mom and, you know, being alone at night and kind of like imagining like that that's the horror of it. And like, would I fight back like yeah. uh, like the main yeah. character did or not? Yeah. So. A lot of um, – so actually tying back to the final girl. So Jess is our final mm-hmm. girl. It's kind of implied that she dies, right? You yeah. think so? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a, 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 a gotcha kind mm-hmm. of thing before – gotcha endings weren't really around before this so this was again one of the first i was kind of like okay we're lulled into safety she killed whoever Mm -hmm. maybe it's okay then you hear that scream and then you're like oh no (laughs) and um i remember when i first watched it i actually felt a little frustrated at first but then i was like no because in a way, it became such a larger metaphor mm-hmm. for me. And especially as I grow older, it's one of those films where I'm like, it's bleak. Yeah, it's bleak. But it's also, it's just when you compare, especially as you learn more about film, as I learn more about film, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually like we care about these people. That's why I feel such dread, you know, as a as opposed to like when I watch, uh, I know what you did last summer. You're just like, mm-hmm. oh, why, why do I care about these people? Yeah. They ran over a guy with a hook, I guess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think that kind of ties into the Femcastrice, right? Which yeah. is um, when it, the final girl who, you know, I think typically it's the final girl. Is that the rule? Or is it just what do you more mean? common that the final girl becomes the Femcastrice? Uh, I think it... it, it it's not it's not the rule, mm-hmm. but it is like a subgenre in with of yeah. itself. Yeah. yeah. So Jess uh, arms herself with a fire poker exactly. um, as as her weapon of choice, and mm-hmm. so many times you'll see um, women having to arm themselves with a like a phallus. Really, that's what it is yeah, about. That is. Um, it's a phallus to overcome the perpetrator, and that's like the only way they're gonna win. And like I've always wanted to try and do a film, and I'm sure there's one that exists in the world where the final girl uses like a super yonic way of, <laughs> <laughs> of killing someone. Like I don't know, like they like uh, eat them peach. or <laughs> eat this peach motherfucker yeah just because you know but it, it is kind of it, it feels it, it's almost like a relief to see it on screen that here's a woman who was asserting the fact that she didn't want to have a child she didn't want to have was right. making her decision to have an abortion her boyfriend didn't want her to and she was basically like screw you like yeah. i get to do what i want and, you know, he's like, you can be my wife. And she's like, I want a career. And <laughs> so do you. <laughs> and, you know, that she is doing things that at the time would have been considered more masculine. Yeah. And then finally for her to win, like, she literally has to grow a dick. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and I think it just reflects so much of what we've had to do in society is, you know, like to be successful, you know, the way that people talk about how you need to be successful in the workplace is, you know, incorporating a lot of, you know, techniques that men have done. And I'm like, can we just like, you know, like my hope is that men would just not be dicks. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think it also it's nice PSA. to have that struggle reflected on screen that yeah. God, that's that's what it takes, really. That is really what it takes. Yeah. All right. No, very good choice. I was so happy when you mentioned this because it's one of those films that like you hope people watch but it really isn't talked about enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think it's one of the most underrated films. And it's kind of weird even thinking it's underrated because it really was. Yeah. Like, one move of a over kind. Halloween. <laughs> honestly, <Come> yeah. <laughs> honestly, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I think, honestly. I think people just see the title and they're like, oh, Christmas. Oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Any final thoughts? No. Okay, cool. So now we're jumping about two, three decades. And we're going to do... Ginger snaps. For two sisters. Together forever. United against life as we know it. With an appetite for the macabre. I'm slitting my throat. You should definitely hang. All it takes is one night. And one bite. Let's get out of here. What was it? A big dog, maybe? Did I change last night? How would the moon... Ginger's changing. How do you feel? Wicked. Being normal teenage girls. I'm not dying! I think she's gone. Ginger snaps and bites. We're almost not even related anymore. Was a bit of Ginger Snaps. So Ginger Snaps is a 2000 film directed by John Fawcett. Did you ever watch Orphan Black? Mm, I know of it. I never watched it. So Orphan Black was a pretty popular BBC America series. He actually created that. So okay, yeah. But before this was one of his very first films. Mm-hmm. He is a Canadian, and they started conceiving it in 1995, but it was extraordinarily, it took five years for them to find the funding Mm. to do a female-led slasher film. And when you just think of that, you're just like, yeah. And if you think about even harder, he said that the last year of getting financing and casting was the most difficult Mm. because what happened in 1999 America, do you remember? What happened in 1999? 1999 America. America. Colorado. Oh, okay. Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, yeah, it was delayed, honestly, because of Columbine, which is actually kind of crazy to think about because Columbine was kind of yeah that was a an an anomaly of its time now it's not an anomaly of Mm -hmm. course but columbine shook everyone i mean Mm -hmm. we were eight or so and i remember thinking it was a big deal 
but also not thinking it was as big as it i think it would affect me more now weirdly i don't even think i knew about it when it happened right yeah i learned about it much later like bowling for columbine well yeah i just like learned about it much later when something like that had happened again and yeah. it, you know and i do remember thinking like okay wow that already happened yeah, <laughs> we like, haven't done anything but i mean props to them honestly for yeah. delaying i know that like really sucks in the film business but i kind of think that might have been a good call i just yeah. can't imagine that something like this would have been super well received like if yeah. you think about like if like heathers was released during that time like it's just not gonna be very well received at that point yeah it was and in general it did very well in canada and overseas but didn't do well in america a lot of people think it was because it was such a female centric film Mm. but sometimes they they do wonder if maybe it was just released too close to columbine Mm. to really get that even though you know there's not really a school shooting or anything it's just it's a ginger snap itself it's about two kind of death obsessed sisters are really gothy they uh one of them gets attacked by a werewolf on they're like going out to do a photo shoot or something and so the film is all about what happens after one of the sisters gets attacked by a werewolf it became a trilogy later on i think i watched the second one i didn't watch the last one the last one has them going back to the 19th century where the werewolf lore first started <laughs> not the characters no they, they okay act- no, 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 no i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah really they played themselves in the 19th century i never watched it but I just, there's is there time travel i think so. uh, no, no, no no but okay they're playing their ancestors i see but it's the same actor i was about to just call a little <laughs> bullshit because like you can't do like werewolf slasher and time travel. I mean, maybe you can. I feel like there's some elements in that in some other movies we might talk about, but that's yeah. just a lot happening. So yeah. I'm I'm glad. That sounds cool. <laughs> the reason why I chose this film, this was actually one of the very first horror films I ever remember renting. I probably rented it around the time it came out. I rented it from Blockbuster. And I remember, I think I hated it when I first saw it. I was like, what the <laughs> F is this? Let me tell you, when I re- me and Gabby rewatched this together on International Women's Day, we rewatched it together. Gabby had never seen it before. It was my first time rewatching it in a very long time. And I remember as we were watching it, I was like, wow, I missed so much subtext mm-hmm. as a kid. Because mm-hmm. this film is so, if you really needed a thesis statement for the monstrous feminine and uh the the femme castries as well as there's a lot of christova's uh theory in here Mm -hmm. of the menstrual uh the abject menstruation Mm -hmm. uh this film is like the thesis statement and i i it also kind of puts a twist on the final girl because I remember when we were watching it, Gabby was like, "When <laughs> yes. when does the final girl part happen?" And and I was like, "You'll see, you'll see." I heard you said it like five times. I was yeah. like, "I what? I don't. What is it gonna? Is there's like five minutes left in this movie? I swear to you." And that's really when it happens in the last five minutes. It all it really starts off as this kind of monstrous feminine film. Mm-hmm. This film where you know puberty is a metaphor for uh like the lycanthropes mm-hmm. and things like that and then and the final in the last five minutes you really see how 
the one of the sisters has to overcome her Mm -hmm. sister in order to survive and i i really when you mentioned final girls i did like like googling because i didn't want us to sit here and talk about scream and halloween like yeah (laughs) i mean love those movies you know they they're great but you know there's a lot of films out there and i thought of this one and i was like you know what i think it makes a really great case for it because there really isn't this um as opposed to black christmas or kind of cabin in the each of these films is very different in its own way but ginger snaps really all of the monstrous in it is primarily female led Mm -hmm. and john fawcett himself he specifically wrote it around the he he didn't never wanted to change their genders he wanted to make a feminist uh film first mm-hmm. and foremost mm-hmm. and i think especially for its time it's it's really advanced for it i mean it's still really campy and stuff it, it's not necessarily like it's not something like black christmas or even the descent or cabin in the woods where i'm like wow this is elevated filmmaking but you definitely see the core of the story and i think especially in the horror genre it's so rare to take something like female puberty as well cis female puberty and push it forward and and be bold enough to make that yeah. metaphor. and i was gonna say i feel like maybe that's why it also didn't do so well in the states you yeah. know at that time from what I can recall, I mean, the tropes that you had of teenage girls. Right. Here you have Ginger, right? Was her name? Ginger. She's the one that's yeah. Ginger and her sister yeah, was God. a mother name. Her sister. <laughs> Ginger Ginger's is the sister. one that's bitten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then her sis. God, I really forgot her name. But like that's yeah. fitting with her character, right? Like- <laughs> right. No, that, that was the point, right? Yeah, that she was the more sort of like unremarkable sister amongst yeah. her peers. And Ginger yeah. went through puberty and, you know, got sexy and she got boobs and was also bit by a werewolf. So there's like a whole scene about talking about pubic hair. And I just feel like you wouldn't really have like you people wouldn't. talking about pubic hair yeah. in, the, in like the States at that Whether time in movies. Yeah. And I thought about watching, like, when I was watching this, I was thinking about what would it have been like if I had seen this at the time that it came out. Right. You know, I mean, great. granted, like, maybe, maybe not eight, but a couple of years later into, you know, my later yeah. years and, and, and my teen years. I feel like it would have been amazing. I mean, like, to, to tackle the subject yeah. of what your body goes through as like a monster and feeling like you're becoming a monster. And you know, the fact that they even incorporated hormones and sexuality and teen sexuality. Like I, I get why it didn't work in the States because around that time it was all Britney Spears. Like, oops, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm a virgin. I'm I'm sexual, but like, I don't know it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also is so other films were so centric. I mean, you have to think back then we had what, like not another teen movie, American pie. Mm -hmm. It was really centered on male sexuality. And the only real male sex scene that we get in here, it's a symbol for the femme castry. She Mm -hmm. literally, they have sex and then he starts bleeding from his dick. Uh, you know fear castration right there yes thesis statement yeah no i think that's why this film was always stuck with me because even though i saw it when i was young and i rewatched it a couple times during that time i was always like i don't fully understand this film but i can tell that it's different and i like that it's different Mm -hmm. and now seeing it as an adult i'm like 
wow, I really wish that this film would be given its roses more because I think it tried to do something really bold and really strange. Even where it's going to be 2020 next year. It's Mm -hmm. almost 20 years since this film was released. It's very, I think the only other film that I can say that I feel has tackled puberty in this femme castries kind of way or or like this monstrous kind of way is raw Mm. and that's the film that we were talking about where they but they did it through the metaphor of cannibals Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's why i really like this film and and yeah what did you think about the film i don't i never really got your thoughts no i liked it for a lot of the reasons that you're saying and i think even within the subject of like the monstrous feminine like you know, you get so many movies like The Brood, which what yeah, you know, it's like there's a lot of this this subject matter about womanhood as it relates to motherhood yeah. and that being like the monster. Yeah. And then you also get, you know, women who are, you know, like the femme fatale yeah. and they're using their sexuality as being a monster. Yeah. But I really like couldn't think of I so can't think of another movie that uses like a pre to pubescent teen girl as the monster, but it yeah. it feels so natural. Like, of yeah. course, like fourteen year olds are scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes perfect subject matter really for does. a horror movie. It really does, yeah. And it uh, it's just such a scary time. It's really weird seeing it as an adult. I'm almost transported back more to mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, because I feel like when you're watching it as a kid, you're like, oh, it'll get better. Mm-hmm. But then now looking back at that time, being like, wow, there really was no more perfect metaphor Mm -hmm. and this is what i mean when when we revisit all of these tropes and things like that i think it's so interesting to look at them as ways to move forward because it's kind of like great these are all such great schools of theory what if we actually applied them to say something important Mm -hmm. and even though like i said i don't think this film necessarily I think it should be studied in genre specific things. It's not really shot well or made well mm-hmm. per se, but it has such a compelling story to tell. And I yeah. think it's definitely a good way to look at that time in life. And I really, I that's why I really liked it. And I and I actually kind of really like the fact that it has that weird final girl twist at the end where mm-hmm. she has to turn against her sister because it was so painful for her. Yeah, and I I really did find myself after because I swear to God I asked May like five times. She did. She did. When is the final girl part coming? Are you sure you remember this? <laughs> movie? I feel I feel so bad for doubting you because I was like, you said it's been a long time. Maybe <laughs> maybe you forgot. Yeah. Um, and I I found myself at the end even knowing from you that it was gonna be a final girl trope and movie. Thinking that the love interest is like older drug right. dealing dude who helps her come up with a sort of vaccine um, and or uh, or just a, a cure for lycanthropy, um, I totally thought he was gonna live, and then he died, and I was like, "Oh, you're right, because she's the only one who survives." <laughs> yeah. But they really held out on that for a they long did. time. They did, um, so it worked. Yeah, I only saw the second one once, but I want to say the second one has the girl, the the sister that survived. She goes off on her own, so she leaves everyone behind. So it even further nails that mm. final girl. Yeah, and 
how the second one works is Ginger shows up to her as like a vision mm. and leads her to kill people. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, but again, I that one I I like remember one scene and that's about it because <laughs> it's been such a long time. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely, I it may after rewatching with you, it made me want to go back and see them again. So I think I think I'm gonna do that soon. But but yeah, Ginger Snaps. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. It's one of those where like I feel like if you're our age and really into horror films, you know what it's about. Mm-hmm. But I don't think kids these days, even the ones that like horror films, and I'm even talking about kids in my class, I don't think that they know that this film exists, and I think that that's a shame because yeah. I think it is still, sadly, in a way, one of the only unique examples of really tackling. Uh, preteen metaphors as a mm-hmm. as a young woman the way that the body changes yeah and also sibling relationships oh yeah god like you know the main character and again it's just hilarious that we don't remember her name um but you know kills her her sister ginger when they were like so close and so together but it like further contributes to this like object puberty from the yeah. sense that like it totally separated them yeah and, yeah um, one of them was still a woman yeah. and then the other one was this monster this puber this puberty monster aka a werewolf yeah you know yeah and just the idea that she's like you've changed you're different and we're not always going to be together and it's sad yeah honestly when when i was re-watching it i was like one this wasn't as scary as i remember but two it is sad than mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. I felt really sad. But I feel like it's probably not as scary just because I can imagine back then that the werewolves probably looked a little more realistic. <laughs> but like right now, the production design is looking a little oh, like the yeah. animatronic oh things my God. at Disney World. <laughs> I remember that like finger cutting, that shit used to really scare me. And rewatching it with you, I was like, oh, this is Haunted Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's really good. Like, just from a story perspective, it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you haven't seen it. Yep. Agree. Cool. All right. Okay. Are you ready for The Descent? Yes. Okay. Let's go. <laughs>
was a bit of the descent. So that was 2005. Neil Marshall, who did Dog Soldiers, which is a really popular, another popular English horror film. Uh, That was his first film. This was his second film. And later on, he's now more known for doing Game of Thrones episodes, like really popular ones. All right. I see it. Do, do you watch Game of Thrones? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. So he did Blackwater and okay. The Watcher of the Wall. You know. He won an Emmy for one of those. Okay. So I, it must be, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I was like, oh, okay, so he must be really important. Though. Gotcha. <laughs> I feel like I don't know the titles as much. Right. But I, you know, I can see. Blackwater is a character, say. right? A place. A place. Okay. Why do I try? I'm not a very good geotech. <laughs> so. Well, that's what he does now. Um, the Descent is actually one of the most critically acclaimed horror films of the time. It's still considered one of the best horror films of all time, and rightfully so. We rewatched it. Gabby watched it for the first time. I rewatched it. I rewatched this film a lot. I first saw it with my. So this is one of my picks. I first saw it with my mom. In theaters. You know, your relationship with your mom and, <laughs> like, the movies that she was, like, totally cool with oh you seeing is so foreign to me. <laughs> because she didn't care. She wasn't a good mom. I just, no, that's not, I'm sure she's a great, but I just, hey, I, I, I no mean, it contributed that. to your education. I just remember being in Blockbuster and trying to rent an R movie two days before my 17th birthday and my mom was like well you can just walk your yourself to blockbuster when you turn 17 and rent it because i'm not doing it for you <laughs> that's good parenting okay look look at where we're at no yeah my mom i remember she was like i think she always knew the weird thing is my mom drew the line at comic books that was the only time she ever threw out anything of mine and i'm like You'll let me watch a bunch of people get killed, but I can't have a comic book. And so, yeah, she that was the only time huh. she ever threw anything away. And I think that messed up my relationship with comics for the rest of my life. I was like 10 years old and I was like, Damn. I can't have comic books. And now it, it's so overwhelming trying to think about comic books for me, even though I like them in theory. Oh, there's my cat. Hi, Darko. Darko's on a show now, everyone. <laughs> she walked in from outside. Okay. Anyway, so I saw this one with my mom because I really wanted... We I didn't watch many films in theaters, but this had a really strong vir- viral marketing campaign. I was 14 when it came out, so this was really peak me being into horror. And she really liked it. I really liked it. And re-watching it, especially now, you're just kind of like... Man, this film is still, again, so fresh and so different for for what it is. So um, it's about six women who go to a cave and they encounter creatures. That's really a simplified version. There's a lot of like grief and trauma involved as well. And like I said, I chose it because it's one of my absolute favorite films of all time. But it's also probably one of the most feminist films I've ever seen. And so before I ask you your thoughts on it, just to give some background into it. So Neil Marshall made Dog Soldiers. He didn't want to be known as a horror director, but he knew that he wanted to make an all-female film. Mm. He had a lot of female friends, a lot of lady friends, and he... <laughs> like, not those type of lady friends, just, like, badass lady friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he had a lot of uh, women around him when he was conceiving it because he wanted it to be 
about their relationship. He wanted mm. it to be authentic. He did not want to write from the perspective of what he thought the women were to be. And I think that just that detail proves so exponential when you watch this film because you feel like you're just watching this horrifying friendship drama in the most extreme circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I was thinking a little bit about that after we saw it because my initial impression was like, this is great. Like, badass woman. And like, I love, you talk about how this is like the, the best of the best. And I mean, really like one of my favorite horror shots. Like, even if you just take like a three second clip, like there's um, a clip of her after she's like drenched herself in this blood bath in the cave and she's hold, you know, holding her little axe axe cipher thing and uh cipher castries phallic woman (laughs) and you know she's just posing and she's like looking like an ultimate badass and it's so great but i'm gonna give it one but i just i you know i have this like it's more like a theoretical problem with the idea that Yes, it's so great that it's an all-female cast. Like, it's an all-woman cast, and it's all about their relationship. Yet, I still felt a little flavor of the fact that, like, a dude wrote it. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's it's not perfect. It's It's not not perfect. perfect. And, you know, I was thinking, like, how I, you know, this starts on the premise that um, the main character, who is the final girl, um, survives this crazy car accident. Her child and her husband die. And her best friend was cheat was the other woman with her husband, and it kind of gets revealed through the film. And I'm like, I could have done without that. Like, I yeah. really could have. And yeah. I think that would have maybe not have been in. Maybe wouldn't have been in there if a woman right. had been in control of the story, right? And how it was presented. Like, I just thought, like, did it offer some tension? Yes, but it was kind of like the easy way out for tension. Yeah, in my absolutely. Mind. I I really agree. Um, I had thought about that before, but Gabby mentioned it when we watched it, and yeah, and she mentions it now, and, and she's absolutely right. These films, I don't think any of these films are perfect whatsoever. I I think maybe Ginger Snaps might be the most feminist per se, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just because you realistically understand how preteen girls could get into that patriarchal kind of thing, but with the descent, I actually do think that. One, I would have loved to see what a female director would have done with this film. And two, I do think that the cheating aspect is completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And also, we also have to remember, Neil Marshall didn't do the second one, but there was a sequel, which kind of rewrote the ending. Mm-hmm. And the sequel is Sarah, who we think is the final girl at the end of the one. Uh, they She shows up at the hospital. She's like rescued. And they think that she's killed everyone. So they make her go back into the cave with it's a mixed group so it's men and women Mm -hmm. and juno is revealed to still be alive Mm -hmm. and things like that so this film as a standalone to me is excellent it's one of the best of the best but it definitely you still see where these tentacles of patriarchy and and male gaze still Mm -hmm. seep through and and that's just a reality of being a spectator absolutely and as you said before like it's all about like looking at these films as like these strong women theorists are doing and saying like here's what we're observing and like offering that analysis to make things better so i don't mean to like be the (laughs) the debbie downer and bring up the the negative thing first but i think it it, it's important to point out um but other than that i mean you know, I I just, I love the idea that it's just these women who are, like, just right. the fact alone that they're going 
what is it? Gabe spelunking. spelunking. Yeah. I hate that, I hate that, <laughs> that word. word. <laughs> I'm going to say cave diving. Yeah. Cave jumping. Yeah. Um, you know, that they're going cave spelunking, whatever, together alone is really, like, that's a really cool premise. Like, yeah. just the fact that they're doing something physical and laborious yeah. and it takes a lot of skill. And like, and they were skilled at it. They yes. were the, one of the best. Yeah, right? they were really good at it. They just found some really creepy, crawly, like, <laughs> subhuman, whatever yeah. people. And, yeah. And uh, too bad for them. <laughs> so, okay, I actually have a question. Because you walked into it blind, right? You didn't know anything before? No. I mean, okay. I knew that they descended. And I, right. I knew it had, like, a and I want to talk about that too but yeah yeah. first um I am a little jealous because I almost wish I I walk into it with blind eyes now Mm -hmm. I mean I yeah no even because I had seen the trailer a lot the trailer revealed what they were how did you feel once it all started coming apart like what what did you what was your well I think I was I, I I know I had seen a trailer for it yeah because I knew that it that they were using a lot of like red. I, I made a comment to me like, how many red gels has, did it take? <laughs> that is like <laughs> down to the film majors. I watch it. We're just like, how many? Gels? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're not familiar, gels are you know they can change the color of your lighting, and so it's a lot of red lighting. And so I knew that that was going to be a thing. I knew that there was going to be some like hills have eyes type kind creepy crawly monsters, right. but really just like didn't know the premise like. I don't even think I knew that it was an all-female cast. Yeah. Um, and so I knew that much. And right. it was surprising to me. I, like, I, I think I, it was more like, how are they going to get to this place <laughs> where these people are? Let's see so the, I think, like, the process in terms of, like, the plot, looking at, like, from point A to point B, how they right. got there was really interesting yeah. and seeing that because that was totally fresh and new. Yeah. And also how they were going to survive. I didn't know anything about these creatures because right. they're not zombies. They're not. Yeah. They're not vampires. They're like oh, a yeah. monster of their own. It's yeah. like what would humans look like if they evolved yeah. underground? You know, it's really funny. This almost has nothing to do with. I mean, it's kind of related, but I, I, I really love the creature aspect of this film. I think that's one of the most unique aspects of it. And it's funny that you mentioned the brood because I actually just saw that the other day. For the day. first time? I know it was the first time. Oh, Can you believe that? Okay. Yeah. Because I, I did a lecture on the monstrous yeah. women and I'm like, okay, we need to dive in here. And the the only creatures that the those uh, descent creatures remind me of are actually the weird children in the brood. They were they look a lot alike to me. Well, one is taller. <laughs> the other one is like a little child. But I think I see where you're I think at. it's because I think it's it's either the the husband or the psychologist and the brood. They're like, yeah, they've adapted to be able to not to see in the daylight. Okay, I get like you. That. Yeah, and I was like. Oh yeah, that weird little face does kind of look like yeah. The you're creature. right, you're right. But for those unfamiliar, the brood is totally about really, it is totally different. Uh, scary children. So it's like little murderous babies. Please that get go watch the brood. From it's actually kind of it's really, great. Yeah, it's it's it was when the reveal happened. I was like, whoa, that's creepy. But what's cool about them, I will say this, and kind of true of the children as well, like because. You know, children in their own way are sort of like genderless, right? They have right, yet right, to go through yeah. Theory. But within the descent, like 
it's so different from Black Christmas in terms of the dynamic between the final girl and the perpetrator oh, yeah. because, like, Black Christmas, it's, and even, like, well, no, yeah, Ginger Snaps is its own thing, even though they have, it's so based on gender. Right. Um, and, like, puberty as it relates to gender, but... Right. With Black Christmas, you have the perpetrator who's so clearly a, a dude. Um, right. And this is like, there's just no gender identity to these creatures. There isn't. Um, and I think, you know, it the absence of men in the cave, it, it's just very interesting to look at horror through that lens. And yeah. sort of be able to um, maybe access a fear that's that's not about gender or not about feeling unsafe as a woman that it's 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 just about pure human safety it is and survival so let's actually talk about the bit of the title so the Mm -hmm. descent Mm -hmm. so we are identifying with sarah throughout most of it she is the final girl quote unquote she's the one that had her life ripped apart and then she's going to go on this literal descent Mm -hmm. but we can also look at the descent how would you find how would you describe her character arc and maybe a theme what would you say well she kind of i mean she's going through a lot of grief so she's really at like a low in her life and trying to rebuild right for sure so but when they you know get down into the cave like it there kind of becomes like just like this human instinct that takes over and like yeah. she has like this betrayal of her friend that she that is revealed and she just like it totally becomes about instinct and like right so i don't know if you would call that a descent <laughs> <laughs> seems like that's what you're getting this is why i love gabby <laughs> she gets it no one thing one quote that i found and this was uh related to the monstrous uh feminine mm-hmm. to her so because even though they're not the monsters I, what I really loved, this quote was like, the descent is not redemptive for Sarah. Mm. And when you think about it, you're like, yeah, she's not redeemed by her grief. Yeah. She's not healed by it. She literally descends into this absolute killer. Mm-hmm. She just becomes all of her darkest wishes and 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 sadness and despair and and i mean she uses it to fuel a rage and that's something that we don't see usually mm-hmm. it's either oh the broken woman she's yeah. so broken or like oh the broken kind of in the brood the broken woman you know mm-hmm. oh now she's all these rage things these other things carry out the rage for her mm-hmm. the really cool thing about the descent is that it has no problem with warping her mm-hmm. into just this being of mm-hmm. instinct, as you said. And as you said, it's just so carnal. And and it really does become genderless that you're mm-hmm. just like, wow. You know, like she's just risen from the actual blood, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's it's totally survivalist. Like, yeah. And that that's very much how... I think of cave spelunking. <laughs> I still hate that word. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, I think like that's the appeal for a lot of people is right. going on those adventures and, and, yeah. you know, whether it's, um, you know, going to a cave or rock climbing, like it's like tapping into this yeah. like survivalist aspect of ourselves yeah. that we, we don't get anymore in our daily lives, but we yeah. still like through bioevolution have in ourselves from cave cave people days literally so (laughs) yeah so i feel like that you know it kind of 
that those are the fears that you're tapping into when you go and look for the adrenaline rush of doing all these outdoorsy things and right and they just totally warp it and take it to the extreme in this case yeah yeah i i this is literally one of my favorite films of all time um before we finish out on it there is one kind of plot hole in it that gabby brought up that always bothered me as well and recently i was talking to delia about this film and she's like did you ever see the second one and i'm like no i didn't out of principle and she's like it actually explains a couple of things in the first one so remember when she drops into the pool of blood Mm -hmm. and we're like where are all these victims coming from no one comes here so in the second one it's revealed that there is a man that specifically lures people into the cave for the creatures Mm, this changes things i agree (laughs) i was like oh that explains the blood and i was like i don't like it yeah (laughs) i don't like it yeah i don't like it either Um, that's really interesting especially because i feel like it takes away like this like image of the cave like the cave is so well also like vaginal and like (laughs) you know by the way vagina yeah well like again like this like yonic thing and 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 having that be so powerful and scary i think is really cool i also like feel like maybe i would allow myself to tie that to this the thing that uh, everything about her daughter who has died and like the the idea of like motherhood and like how like her motherhood has now been warped yeah i don't know if i'm taking that too far no you're not taking that far at all no i definitely think that there are echoes of the archaic mother so archaic mother is more barbara creed um where again the because if if we're to really break that down so you know she's the one with a happy family whatnot Mm -hmm. Then her husband is literally impaled with her daughter, which means that the kid was tied to the man. You know, Mm -hmm. the kid was tethered to the man. She loses everything. She loses her, the, she's presented as abject because she has no male influence. She has Mm -hmm. no nothing. And then as you said, they come to a head essentially because of that. It's funny. There was a part when we were watching it when Gabby was like, does this pass the Bechdel test? I think it was funny though. It was more I needed a refresher. It, yeah. I think it was more like what the Bechdel test is and what I hope it to be. And that like if there's one scene that yeah. then it passes. Yeah. I mean, but to Gabby's point, I think that's fair. Like I, I, I absolutely agree. Like I said, it's still one of my favorite films, but one the sequel's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Two and it has the same people in it. Mm-hmm. The sequel's bullshit. Number two, I absolutely agree that that this would have done with one more rewrite. I I would like to see female director, but I think in general, if this was just completely overhauled by a female screenwriter being like, we don't need this story, mm-hmm. find some other. There's so much trauma mm-hmm. that you can, I mean, hello guys, watch girls, all right? <laughs> There's so much trauma that you can find in the, in the lives of, of adult women. And um, regardless though, this is, easily probably one of my favorite from one of my favorite final girls yeah ever. and it and it's cool because it it still is a final girl film yeah but they like totally abandon other setups to that you know yeah. there's no there's no sexy time that happens nope. that leads to someone dying first yep. you know she's not a virgin clearly yep. she had a child yes yes so yes. you know like really just using the genre yeah. in in a way to provoke that and yeah. do something different 
Yeah, it's excellent. Okay, so our last one, Cabin in the Woods. Are you ready? Yes. Let's go. Okay. GPS is unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right? Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Sign says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. And to get you there, getting back. That's your concern. <laughs> This is awesome. Whoa, no way. The lambs have passed through the gate. They are come to the killing floor. Get this party started! I seriously believe something weird is going on. What is that thing? We have to stay together. This isn't right. Maybe we should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? We gotta get out of here. bit of cabin in the woods 2011 so this is the only non-international film it's from america it was done by drew goddard who ended up writing cloverfield did you see cloverfield no uh, i didn't want to waste my time <laughs> Honestly, same. we're still gonna lose followers because of that it's Sorry. okay um he went on to create the daredevil netflix series that just got canceled. And then he just did Bad Times in El Royale. Did you see that? No. I kind of wanted to see it. I still don't know if I want to see it. But people either really loved it or really mm. hated it. I mean, I'm sad about Daredevil. So maybe I would my, be in the love best, it camp. My best friend is too. Yeah, she really liked Daredevil. She also really liked Jessica Jones. Did you watch Jessica Jones? I did. Luke yeah. Cage, all that. And I'm not a Marvel person. Yeah, but... I hear that they're really, they're more uh, character focused. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, right. a, again, being TV, not movies, there's not the same recycled story yeah, arc. same, same. Yeah, no. So, but that's where it's coming from. It's also co-written by Joss Whedon. Are you a Joss Whedon fan? 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> I am such a big Joss Whedon fan. Okay. Is that why you... So this is Gabby's choice. So Gabby, what was yeah. behind the choice? Well, I knew that I needed to see it eventually because I am a Joss Whedon fan. This was her first time seeing it. Yes. It was my first time seeing it. It's so funny to me, my perception of... Like, I don't even pay attention to horror trailers because right. I don't want to get too scared. Right. Um, <laughs> but that's... I mean, I like film theories it applies to horror movies as we talked about but right. also like I really like watching older horror movies because I think I'm able to like get past that like right. more visceral experience and and look at it from a more theoretical level yeah. if I can distance myself from it right um like I never watched like I you know I grew up with, like I was in high school and like Hostel came out and everybody was so obsessed with that I was like I don't really want to see people's toes getting cut yeah, off and same. like that yeah. that's freaky to me and right. I I don't find that enjoyable so a modern film, Cabin in the Woods, knowing that it's, quote, quote, a horror film yeah. deterred me from it. But I don't know what I was thinking because, like, Joss Whedon is not the traditional horror right. person. Right. He did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dollhouse, right. yeah. um, Firefly, um, and Much Ado About Nothing, which was, like, a, a, a take take on Shakespeare. Well, yeah. it was Shakespeare, but he did, like, this black and white film. Um, and so he re- he recycles a lot of the same actors and actresses and what, you know, he's used them in previous shows. And so I liked a few people that he had on board. Um, and then I watched it. I was like, I should have just watched this when it came out because, like, it wasn't that scary. It was hilarious. It's more of a comedy, It's, it's a sure. horror comedy, yeah. you know? And... Um, so I really enjoyed it because I like his humor and his style. And right. also I knew that it had, it was more a feminist twist, which we can talk about what he's done with Buffy too um, in that realm. But yeah, he just like totally pointed out the final girl archetype and was like, I'm just going to take this to the extremes and yeah. make it funny, which is great. Yeah. So uh, kind of, I, Cabin in the Woods is probably the most popular film yeah, I would say that. I remember when so Cabin in the Woods came out when we were in school. Yeah, it came yes, out when we were in school. Did. I saw it with I actually saw it with James. Okay, I'm pretty sure I did. And I remember I expected something walking in, just being like, okay, so this is gonna be a pretty standard Cabin in the Woods. This has like Crims Hemsworth pre Thor, mm-hmm. you know. So it it had no one at the time. I really expected it to at. I hadn't grown up with Joss Whedon like mm-hmm. you did, even though I, I knew what kind of figurehead he was. I never really watched Buffy or anything, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Um, but Cabin in the Woods, in a really simple way, it's about a group of students who go to the woods and stuff happens. Basically, <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, because it's, you know, you walk in and I remember seeing the trailer. The trailer was cut really straightforward. Mm-hmm. I was really expecting a straightforward film. That is not with this film. You get about like 30 or 40 minutes of that, right? And then it just goes. Well, it's funny because you you get that in the first 30 or 40 minutes. And then the first thing that happens that makes you go, oh, hold up. (laughs) Is this like hawk flies into this little shield over the area where the cabin is. And and that was so like, it was funny because it's like knowing the language of Joss Whedon and like that, that sort of style right was like okay i'm gonna like this movie because this is just gonna be so far out and and strange and and 
you know, it incorporated some weird sci-fi aspects, some weird, like, really archaic did. god aspects. There's yeah. a lot going on. There's a lot. I remember that. I, I didn't rewatch it, um, but I, re- I it's such a weird film that I still remember. I remember one of the final scenes when, I think it's maybe Chris Hemsworth, maybe not Chris Hemsworth, I don't know, when they go down into the building and they meet the, the architect the yeah. seller of the cabin yeah 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 and they're meeting archetype by archetype right are you talking about at the way way end yes that's oh okay so it was not chris hemsworth it was the other character and i recognize him from other things i don't know his name um and the final girl um are at the end of the movie and there's a problem with the fact that the final girl is not yet alone and final yet and they um go down to this like sacrificial realm where they're yeah i feel like we just gotta explain the whole damn thing Girl, <laughs> this, this is a spoiler podcast okay if you press play on this it's been 10 years you, you should have seen cabin in the woods i <laughs> all right so yeah so you have this whole setup imagine like hunger games yeah horror movie edition pre-hunger games Pre-Hunger Games, but, like, same no, concept, literally, right? yeah. yeah. Really, uh, honestly, when I think back on it, it really does remind me of the Hunger Games, like, when they go to the Capitol. Yeah. That's that's what I'm most reminded of when, yeah. I, when I think back on that film. I mean, even the thing hitting the, the, the hawk hitting the plastic. The little shield thing. Yeah, that reminds me of the dome. Yeah, the absolutely. So you've got all these college kids going to a cabin, the, like, total setup for a horror movie, and then it's revealed that there are people in a control room who are controlling the situation and basically, like, getting these people to die as a way to to placate these ancient gods where, like, if they don't have these archetypal people die and have a final girl, which it's so funny that they're like, the final girl dying is optional. And, like, like what a fun, like, film inside joke right yeah i know um and so they're like trying to get these people to die in order and um and that just is totally wrecked by one dude who's like actually i'm alive (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh whedon and goddard goddard i think goddard because he's not french goddard Got it would it. be messed up if he went by Godard. Drew <laughs> Godard. That's like false advertising. <laughs> like, oh, no, you're from Minnesota. Um, okay. Yeah, no. So they both said that this was a loving hate letter to the horror genre mm-hmm. itself. They really wanted to turn it on its head and really make a commentary about viewership itself. So like Gabby pretty much broke it down. You know, there's these science people that basically control these situations that way the ancient gods are appeased but what is the easiest and most obvious metaphor for that spectator and viewership yes yeah (laughs) i wasn't sure if i was supposed to answer that i was just like (laughs) awkward pause (laughs) i think that was rhetorical (laughs) it's like surely not everyone's this dumb That's really what it is. It's a commentary on how we watch mm-hmm. horror films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it's funny because I know, I know that it's about how we watch horror films and it is about like placating the viewer. But at the same time, I cannot help but look at it through the lens of like the just overall like economical like structures of Hollywood and like no, the formulaic really stuff too. like that. Yeah. It's, that, you know, 
and I think there is a little bit of that in the film. Like, you I know, think there's, there's like, that. Yeah. yeah, like the ways that they like are expected to do things. But right. then you also have literally an audience in the control room watching yeah. what's happening to these yeah. people who are real within their world, yeah. um, who are then on a screen. So, and I loved, I, I like, I just can't get over the setup. I thought it was so cool how they go in the cellar and they each like find something that they're drawn to and that determines the killer. I just thought, I mean, what a great way to talk about in a really hilarious way, like, like setups and payoffs in movies and like also like how in horror movies, you know, there's like this discovery of an object, which opens the door for something else. I thought that was really cool. Did you ever see evil dead? No. Okay. That is specifically an evil dead reference too. Where, oh. yeah, they find, they go into a cellar, they find something, and blah, blah, blah. So I, Evil Dead is one of my favorite horror films of all time, and I I really liked that part of it. It was, it really, you know, after reading more up on, on their intention and whatnot, I mean, you walk, you walk out of that film, I... I didn't absolutely love it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't dive into it immediately. I only dove into it recently because of this episode. And just looking back in retrospect, you're just really like, wow, this was really so well thought out Mm -hmm. from, as you said, the different archetypes, the final girl, you know, the, the comedy, but also just these very specific references that are so universal to a genre that's now mm-hmm. beloved. And I mean, it's funny, in a way, I still think that that film is really fresh mm-hmm. and, and really good. And I don't think anyone has been able to really nail that kind of commentary since. Which is, again, kind of weird because this film is about to be 10 years old, too. Yeah. And um, to kind of segue a bit into now more modern times, it's really weird that... In a way, we're kind of seeing horror have this, like, new wave right now, in a sense, with films like The Witch, Jordan Peele's movies, Mm -hmm. whatnot. But in some ways, I feel like the final girl archetype is dying down. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think it's just... It's been a mechanism that has been used by men. And I think the question yeah. is, like, is are women going to pick it up and, like, do something fresh and new with it? Like, I think that's that's yeah. where it naturally needs to go. Which kind of brings us... When we first talked about this, we were just kind of talking about films we wanted to discuss. And Gabby had mentioned A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was done by a female director, uh, Anna Lilia Mirpur. Um, more recently, we have Jennifer Kent and The Babadook. Mm-hmm. We have Karen Kusama. Did you ever see that invitation? No. The invitation isn't a final girl film either. Um, but that's another female horror director. It's just really interesting. And I mean, we also have to keep in mind that just because these are the horror films being released, distributed in mainstream ways, even though two of those, actually, no, all three of those films are from independent studios, mm-hmm. so they didn't get wide releases. All that being said, those stories are not being told from that perspective. So mm-hmm. I think it's um I think the only one where you could almost argue a final girl thing is with Raw, but I wouldn't because she doesn't really confront a killer. She has to confront her dealing with puberty through the lens of cannibalism, which isn't really the same. Yeah. And I do think that 
we just need to give a lot more opportunities to uh, women, cis or trans or any people who identify as women, give them the chance to really tell their voices Mm -hmm. because I think it, it, it's time. It's time for us to take this beautiful thing, as you said, that's been male dominated into this. We, there's so much that we can say now. Yeah. And I, I think it was interesting too how, like bring it back to Joss Whedon. Yeah. He's he's been praised a lot for right. like putting out some more feminist work. Right. But there are still flaws, you know. Oh, like yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which like I mentioned earlier, like is an example of a final girl. Like yeah. if you look at the full TV series, just right. in the sense that like she also is like a femme castrice. She mm-hmm. has her her stake and yeah. you know, she survives so many people. He did like flip that on its side and kind of you know, she falls in love with a vampire and... Angel, right? Yes, Angel. Okay. And then Spike, it's like a whole thing. Oh, okay. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um... And then, you know, on top of that, like, I, I got a lot from it, this, like, metaphor of, like, women and the burden of caretaking and, like, yeah. motherhood. Even though she's not a mother, she's kind of, like, left to be the responsible one for the world. Yeah. Like, that's who she is. So there's, like, that critique. Um, And so I did wonder, like, if he, you know felt like he was I guess like dealing with something else through the cabin in the woods as a way to like re-comment on those aspects but again like he's a dude there's flaws Buffy the Vampire Slayer like the one person of color in the first like five seasons dies after like two episodes so you know there's a lot of flaws there that I think like it's so time for people to to yeah take these for their for their own and and show their perspectives and i think you can either comment on the final girl and tropes that have existed or totally do something new like the babadook was like i feel like totally fraction like didn't yeah. fall into those archetypes yeah um yeah no it's definitely its own thing um a girl walks home alone at night is more monstrous feminine but it's also kind of a really beautiful story in and of itself as well and and yeah so i'm really excited to see kind of how the i i want more final girl films done through the female gaze Mm -hmm. i really want to see uh where that goes actually the film that i'm about to see the one that i wanted you to come see with me so everyone if you're it's already out in some major markets i almost saw it in new york but i wasn't able to find a good time to go there is a film called Knife and Heart. Have you heard of it? Nope. So it's a French film. And it's billed as a 1970s gay slasher film. Mm. And the lead is Vanessa Paradis, who is uh, Lily Rose Depp's mom, Johnny Depp's ex-wife. Oh. Uh, and I love that you were like, here's who she is. And you didn't start with Johnny Depp's wife. Just saying. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Hello. F that. Um, no, yeah. And but she, she's really famous in France. And she plays a lesbian in it. That's about as much as I know. And, and it's all set in 1970s uh, gay pornography kind of mm. thing. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. I don't want to look it up in advance, but we might have an example of the final girl there. Maybe. Get M83 to the score. Wow. Okay, yes. now I need to see it. <laughs> yeah. No, I've actually the score's already on spot. I love it cuz okay. it's a throwback to giallo um mm-hmm. soundtracks, which as you heard is like my favorite things. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So, you know, that's coming out. I'm really excited for that. 
I, I think that it's just time to really give chances now. And um, I just watched Us yesterday, actually. I'm not going to say anything about it. But the kind of cool thing about people like Jordan Peele getting through in right now, whether you like his films or not, I also have certain opinions about them, is it really is starting to open up this world in the horror genre where almost anyone can have a voice now and it's still really hard and everything and and i'm not saying that we live in this utopia i would know you know Mm -hmm. we we would know we are in the thick of it but i do think that it's finally time to let these people share their voices and i'm really excited to see where things like the final girl go because it's definitely one of my favorite tropes as well yeah i mean it's totally about being a survivor and it's time for people who have experienced things themselves to write for them yeah so yeah all right let's end on we both name our favorite final girl no matter like what film whether we discussed it or not why does this keep going off (laughs) whether we discussed it or not let's talk whether it's cliche or not which one's your favorite 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 Oh, that's hard. It's like I'm torn between um the girl from Alien. I forget her name. The one from Alien, Ridley, and Buffy. Right, Ripley. Like Ripley. Ripley, right? Only because like Buffy is in film. I get that, but no, she she's so important to the horror genre. Yeah. I will tell you straight up. Uh, the textbook that I teach my kids from is the only TV example because she's so iconic. But I think the thing with Ripley is like Ripley. Ripley. I'm always like Ripley, Ripley. <laughs> I think because it's Ridley Scott. Ridley. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Ridley Scott whatever. directed it, but Herney. Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Um. Is that like? It's she's a badass in like the physical sense, right? But she's also so smart, and yeah. you know, she was literally smarter than a computer. It's a great at a yeah. computer like android bot had its mother mother well, mother no but the there's like mother but then there was the little android who is like oh right a, right 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 whatever yeah, yeah yeah um who played a doctor and um i don't know i just felt like okay yeah so that little android had its its own intentions that you know were revealed later but i just thought gosh like this person is just smart it's not like it's not about who's toughest and most like physically able to defeat something granted she also is it was like yeah you just are like a smart engineer yeah yeah and i thought that was really cool also like woman in stem granted like very futuristic stem but yeah no yeah alien in a way i mean we won't discuss the films that came after did we didn't see Prometheus together, did we? No. Okay, no, we didn't. Um, we won't discuss what happens to Ripley after because it's a mess. But I, I, Alien itself is such a unique film, even today. It's just so beautiful. Like, I think the only thing you can almost compare it to is almost Gravity, mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock and Gravity. But again, it's like completely different yeah. intentions. And it, it, it's so amazing how symbolic she was and how great she still was and recently i read that there was a, a high school in new jersey who did alien as a play shut up yeah there's a little trailer and it's you know it's made for high schoolers they have like a watermark Guys, of like where they got their stock shots but let's never been kissed this shit oh <laughs> yeah 
really. I was like, falling in love with kids. Like, where was this like creativity when I was in high school? Because it looked so cool. I was like, what? And what a cool play to do as a teen. But also, like, what a cool play. I would go and pay money to see Alien as a play. Yeah, yeah. Just because I would, you know, I would see as a musical. I would see almost (laughs) anything as a musical. Though, going that far. Um, all right. For me, I'm so basic. You're going to laugh. My, my genuine, <laughs> my genuine favorite final girl is Sydney Prescott. Scream. I love yeah. the Scream movie so much. It's a classic example. It's uh, just, yeah, no, Scream, I really made me love horror. And when you just look back and see, cause at first I, I liked Scream just cause I like Scream, you know, mm-hmm. like it was, it was a hot movie. Mm-hmm. But after you learn about film theory and you see how effing smart those movies are like i don't i don't care if you're listening to this podcast and you don't like the sequels you need to stop you unfollow me i'm gonna follow <laughs> you down we're gonna track you down because scream 4 i think is one of the most smart movies i've ever seen in my life you know and because it had no problem ta- it was i think it came out after cabin in the woods and i'm not saying it's as smart as cabin in the woods per se but it had no problem tackling the current problem in horror in that day mm-hmm. you, do, do you think you'll ever see scream for yeah but you, okay. can ru- you can ruin it for me we've oh, covered okay. this when you go to film school you know <laughs> yes we have covered you'll this. be shown a 30 second clip of the ending of seven and that's then... literally what i do to my kids <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you, you watch it anyway because it's not about that anymore. it really isn't yeah so go yeah. ahead yeah no so in in the final one uh they take on the female killer. Mm-hmm. So the killer is a female. And I and I just, I, to this day, I still think it's some of the smartest films. I, I really love uh, Wes Craven. But after that, I would actually say, I think The Descent. But that's always the first one that yeah. pops up to me just because, oh, and I have one more. Did you ever see You're Next? No, but I would like to. You're Next is, I think, one of the best recent examples of the final girl. The only reason why I didn't choose it for this is I I really try not to choose American films for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It's technically an American film, even though the final girl herself is Australian, which is interesting. Mm. But um, yeah, you're next again. Really strong. Um, really, it, it's kind of formulaic in a way. But again, you really rarely see these women just completely fighting back. You know, that when you do see it, you're just like, yes, yes exactly. I love it. I, I really love it. If you, y'all can, I mean, this is kind of unrelated, but I loved Atomic Blonde just for that. Like, I was like, yes, kick ass. I love it. <laughs> it just, it gives me so much wish fulfillment. Well, I think it's, it's going to be fun to see what comes next. I know that the babysitter is coming out and that's its yeah. own little take on the final girl. It's like a really yeah. creepy psychotic babysitter <laughs> you, you know what i just saw the trailer for when i saw us i just saw the trailer for pet cemetery yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that was our show yeah. <laughs> no yeah i had the same feeling i was like uh, it doesn't look very creative okay. i would give it a shot but it just doesn't look anything i also feel like nowadays our effects are too. I don't want to see a bunch of animals die. Like I could see the '80s Pet Cemetery because I'm like, yeah, it's a freaking, it's a plastic thing. I see that. Yeah. yeah, but when I saw like that cat rise up and try, I'm like, no, I'm gonna have nightmares. So. 
but I I don't know. In the eighties, I guess that was the the it was scary to people. Was it? I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I remember talking to my uh, parents about how they saw The Exorcist when it first came well, out, that's and how people. Hold on, but like people like (laughs) walked out because they were so freaked out by these like realistic scenes. I'm sorry, it wasn't realistic. It was so (laughs) like for but through my eyes. But like back then, I'm sure it was really shocking. Have you been to the steps yet? Oh yeah, I'm from the area. I've been multiple times. I've taken people. But what's really sad is that they. So for folks who don't know the steps, what what May's referring to is uh, the steps from the Exorcist are in Georgetown. They exist. The house that um it's set in it exists. I'm actually not sure. I don't think they filmed inside. That would be really weird. Um and like just like really constricting. Um, But the house exists, so you can go see it. You can walk up the steps. Um, there's a there was a gas station at the bottom of the steps, but it's becoming a condo. So I'm really curious to see how that's gonna change the yeah. setting. Cause granted, the gas station was modern and everything, but I don't know what it's gonna do to the skyline if you can see the house from the river anymore. But Gabby with her DC knowledge, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, this is somewhat unrelated. I didn't know that the Fitzgeralds were buried out here either. I didn't until this moment. So really, Rockville, (laughs) yeah, the uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald are buried together out in Rockville. I really want my hometown. (laughs) How did you not know that? I didn't know that because nothing fun happens in Rockville. That's why (laughs) I want to go. They say that a lot of people go just to drop off like cigarettes and flowers, (laughs) and I don't smoke. But damn, I feel like just buying a cigarette. Just be like, here you are. so that was DC through history with right. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it really is. All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts? No. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, thank you, guys. I still expect Clinton to listen because, like, you know. Oh, Clinton listens. Yeah. Yeah. So I will let you know. Actually, his that that'll be his next thing because next uh, week. This next week, we're going to be recording Latin American horror. Amazing. Amazing. And But the thing is, there are technically like 19 countries in Latin America, so we're breaking it up by country. Mm-hmm. So the next podcast, so we're going to have Clinton will be back. We're going to hear about his trip from Spain, and we're going to be talking about films from Argentina, Colombia, Bolivia, and Chile. Great. Yeah. Exciting. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just give like major props to Clinton. I actually don't know Clinton. Hi, nice to meet you. Clinton, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I just feel like like it's just it's a cool dynamic that you have on the show. And Aww. I should just like all the props don't go to Clinton. Like, let's be real. Go they go to you. But like the format of like a dude coming to like learn and listen from like a badass woman who yeah. is an academic and like Aww. going through things in in such an amazing way like the format's really cool and i just think like yeah like dude should listen thank you gabby <laughs> this is why i love gabby it's been almost 10 years holy crap yeah it has been almost- 10 years <gasps> No, we're not old. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Gabby and I are going to go probably do like patty cake or something. Whatever you think stereotypical <laughs> girls do. Thank you so much for listening. I'm May. I'm Gabby. And have a great day, guys. Bye. Bye.